Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of September 9th, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their weekend series against the Los Angeles Angels. Unfortunately, the White Sox lost two out of three games and have lost 10 of their last 13. But the White Sox are 63 and 80 on the season, which means they have officially won more games than last year. Progress! There was some good, some bad, and downright ugly from this past series that requires our attention. So we'll be bringing back the old segment. For those that have been listening from the very beginning, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The White Sox continue their homestand against the Kansas City Royals, which will preview that series. And the front office finally replaced Nick Kostetler as they found a new director of amateur scouting, which we will share with you also later in the show. And at the very end, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. While the Chicago White Sox are finishing the last three weeks of the regular season, we can look at the 2019 performances and see how they stacked up to their preseason projections. Who exceeded their projections, who is falling short of those projections, and whose performance can we count on to repeat in 2020. Plus, the postseason races are really heating up in both the American and National Leagues. How will these races play out? Who will make the postseason? Well, to help answer these questions and also speak to the wonders of neural networking is our best friend of the show from Fangraphs.com. It's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Josh. Always fun. But I heard you you, just, you said someone else was the best friend. Someone told me on Twitter that, you, that, 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 that you've been playing both sides. 
Uh-oh. Well, no, did they say who is also a best friend? I forgot, but I will do some research, and then I will I will awkwardly confront you in, like, a sitcom style because, you know, you ask, you know, asking two girls to the same dance. Yeah. Well, you let me know who else I told them that. Okay. You see, if I give you a name, you might, you might, you know, eliminate them, so. I could, yeah. Yeah, so I have to kind of keep it a little vague until I have my whole case made. Okay. Well, while you do that, uh, your Twitter feed, which you can follow Dan on Twitter, he's at DZimborski, uh, has been hilarious as you've been lately playing around with the Talk to Transformer tool. So for those that are not in the know, and people have been asking me on Twitter, what is Dan <laughs> doing? Uh, what is the Talk to Transformer tool? Well, there's a machine learning engineer by the name of Adam King, and uh, OpenAI is... is a group that 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 kind of crowdsources these things or has, opens a model to the public. I wouldn't really want to say crowdsourcing; that's not the right word. But they have a, a language model called a GPT two, and Adam uh, King made a tool in which you can put any text in, and it will in the neural network will attempt to fill in what would be said afterwards. And I've been greatly amused by that because it's not a perfect tool. But you see, a perfect tool would be kind of boring. Mm -hmm. uh, you want a tool to be good, but just poor enough that it makes, you know, insanity happen. And a lot of the things I've done, insanity happens. And that, that, that amuses <laughs> me and it pleases me because most of my life is spent, you know, amusing myself, I, I hate to admit. Well, I use the Talk to Transformer tool. And I asked the tool, what question should I ask Dan Zaborski on the podcast? And the Talk to Transformer tool responded with, you've been a great clubhouse guy. I appreciate could it. Could you one day be president of baseball operations? I, I could be because, you know, sometimes teams make poor choices. And I trust <laughs> me with that level of responsibility would be a poor choice. So it, it, it could happen. So I will say yes to that question. Thank you, Transformer. Have you ever been approached to work for a baseball team? Oh, oh is it the Transformer or you? This is me. Yeah, I've I've been approached on occasions. I've I've done a lot of consulting and a lot of, you know, small things, but I like working in media, so uh and I'm also probably more temperamentally suited to what I do. <laughs> so that's probably a non-starter. So I'm I'm happy with what I do. Okay. Well, let's look at Zip's projections for the White Sox, which you made public in February on Fangraphs.com. There are four players who are exceeding their projections from February when we look at war. Lucas Giolito, by far and away, is surpassing his expectations, uh, or I should say Zip's projections. Zip's projected back in February, Giolito would have a 0 0.4 war season. <laughs> He's currently at 4.8 war season for the White Sox. Yoan Makata had a projection of 2 war. He's currently at 4.4 war. Tim Anderson was projected to have a 1.4 war season. He's at 2.9. And James McCann, I wasn't very high on James McCann at the beginning of the season either. Uh, Zips rejected a 0.4 war season for McCann. He's currently at two war. Out of these four players, Dan, which has surprised you the most in their actual performance in 2019? Probably Giolito. Uh, and luckily, I think this level of surprise surprised everyone. Uh, so there's kind of that that safety and horror because everybody did a really poor job predicting what he would actually do. 
Uh, and I think it's mostly sustainable too, which is which is a good thing because a lot of times when you're when you're surprised by a projection, it's because there's something in there that isn't sustainable and there's something crazy and something that's an outlier from say a luck or a chance standpoint. But I'm not really seeing that with Giolito. I think it's legitimate and it's definitely one of the biggest projection misses I think probably in in the history of Zips in terms wow. of impact. Uh, probably the worst since uh, Batances with the. Uh, Yankees, and that was largely because I was still projecting him as a starter. I I think that Giolito was a, a really good picture, and unlike some of the other pictures that broke out this year, like Matthew Boyd or Mike Miner, there he, he doesn't have that same kind of you know worry in the back that that about a drop off. Um, I mean, Zips was a big fan of Giolito when he was a prospect, uh, and if you go back to the the the, the, the Nats trade, they had very good projections. But the last couple of years have really sapped what Zips had thought of Giolito. So as you see, it I mean it had him above replacement, which is better than he was, but it didn't see anything like this season. It was definitely in the 99th percentile projection, and actually a little above that. So it's it's definitely one of the biggest misses, and it's probably the one I'm most confident in him maintaining, which is unusual, I guess, for this kind of thing. Okay, because that's going to be my follow-up question, because for White Sox fans, we're still trying to figure out what what should be our expectations for the 2020 season? So you think that Lucas Giolito can sustain this, which is awesome because the White Sox gave up two five-war pitchers and Chris Sale and Jose Quintana uh, to kick off this rebuild. So to replace one of them in production, a, at least using war, uh, is a good sign. What about Yohan Mikata? Uh, having a 4.4-war season, he may reach five-war before it's all said and done. Is this sustainable? I think it largely is, but I'm also a little afraid to say it because I've had this pattern where every time I declare I'm going to break out, then <laughs> he kind of doesn't hit for a month and a half. And then I look stupid to see if I if I say now I'm, I'm finally like, you know, I'm sure this time he's he's going to, you know, hit 120 the last month of the season. And and all the White Sox fans will be mad at me or angrier than they normally are. Actually, you guys aren't particularly mad at me at the moment, I don't think. No, but I, I I like Makata. He hits the ball hard, and he's a non-terrible infielder. And those are two pretty good things. Now Tim Anderson, he's currently at about three WAR. His BABIP is absolutely crazy. We talked about this on Sox Machine Live. White Sox fans, that three ninety plus BABIP is not something that you, we should be counting on for two thousand twenty. We should remember the lessons of two thousand seventeen. Avisil Garcia. But, you know, what do you take away from this season? Because Tim Anderson is competing with DJ LeMayhew to win the batting title this year, Dan, uh, in the American League. One of the surprises in Major League Baseball, especially in the American League. Uh, any part of Anderson's performance in 2019 that you think is sustainable and he can continue to be a three-war plus shortstop? Well, I think the stuff other than the batting average and balls in play is sustainable. Now, he's he's going... I mean, he's likely to have some regression there, but I don't think it's the kind of the same as Avi Garcia's. Uh, I think there's a very good case to be made that Anderson's a high batting average on balls and play player, but I'm thinking high around, you know, 340, 350, not 390, 400. And that, that does make a difference because you, you're essentially going to take 60 points off the batting average. But the thing is, you take 60 points off the batting average, it's, he's, not, have, he's still having a solid season. Uh, I think he is a solid player. Uh, I, 
I, I, I'm, I'm slightly concerned that that his defensive numbers have kind of dropped back off again uh, in both Ultimate Zone Rating and Baseball Info Solutions. And when both of them see a drop off, that tends to actually be predictive in the short term. Hmm. Uh, but I, I still think he's a, let's say, a B to B plus player, even if he doesn't maintain the 390 batting average on balls in play. And that's fine. You know, you you build pennants on a lot of B plus players. The Cardinals are the team that has essentially weaponized B plus players because they rarely have these days MVP candidates or Cy Young candidates, but they have a lot of B plus guys and. It's fine to be a B plus. I mean, I was a B plus student essentially because I didn't like to do homework and I I pretty much required like tests to bring up my grade. Uh, but it's fine. I didn't turn out too poorly, and I was a B plus student. What about James McCann? There's a part of me because catchers are very fickle. Catchers are weird, especially when it comes to the White Sox. Uh, I mean, is he a two war catcher moving forward? I it's it's. Let me let me position the question another way. If Yasmani Grandel becomes a free agent, Dan, should the White Sox ignore Grandel because they got James McCann? It's possible that there's a better fit for him, uh, given McCann. But, I mean, it, it's such a tough position because, I mean, one, you have, like Anderson, you have a batting average of balls in play issue. And you have to ask, is McCann really a 360 guy? And you run the other issue that he's a catcher who's going to be 30 next year. So it's not like a 24-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 26-year-old breaking out. I think that if you get in a situation where you have lined up a catcher uh, that you like better, then I don't think McCann's going to be good enough to stand in, in your way. I don't think you actually have to go full board to get Grendel because the White Sox have more needs than catcher. And... Uh, I don't – I mean, let's just say McCann's like a 1.5 war player uh, next year. That's not a huge problem. The White Sox have bigger issues to deal with. Okay. So out of the four, you think Giolito is legit. Mikata is legit, but you're afraid to say it because you jinx him. Anderson is a B-plus player, and the White Sox definitely need B-plus players. We still don't know about James McCann. He, that's a, That's about fair, I think. I just don't want, I don't I don't want to be the one to ruin Mankata's career. That would that, that would be that would be beyond my role as an analyst to to ruin a player, which is why I stopped watching Kevin Gosman start. <laughs> All right. Uh so for Zips, Zips has been right on the money for a lot of White Sox players. Uh, which is not good uh, because <laughs> Zips didn't have very high projections. Uh, Yomer Sanchez is, I think, going to end up hitting his projection. Jose Abreu is going to end up hitting uh, his projections. Uh, but the two players that are not going to meet their projections, one is Yonder Alonso. Zips thought Alonso would be a 1.2 war player. Alonso finished with the White Sox at negative 1.3 war. And the other is Aloy Jimenez. Zips thought Jimenez would be a 2.3 war player. He's currently at 0.8 war. And just looking at Jimenez, because we don't talk about Yonder Alonso anymore on this show. Uh, Zips projected a healthy slash line for Jimenez this year. 289 batting average, 330 on base, slugging 525, uh, with the weighted runs created plus of 133 with 28 homers. Now Jimenez is probably going to hit 28 homers this year. 
But his slash line before the Angels series is 254, 305, and 478 slugging with a 105 weighted runs created plus. So at least he's above league average. How would you grade Aloy Jimenez? his rookie season to date, Dan? I guess I would give it a C based on expectations uh, because there, there, there are some, some things, there's some reasons for optimism in, in the line hidden. Uh, Like if you use his hit, his hit data for the season, what I call Z stats for zips, uh, zips actually thinks he should have a three twelve batting averages and balls in play for the season. And that, that's, you know, it's not a massive amount over the 295 he is, but 17 points of batting average brings him up not too far from where the triple slash was projected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, he got waylaid at times. His defense in the left field has been less than inspiring, we'll just say. Uh, and I would like to see some improvement there. Uh, like, I look at what I would like to see. Because I think his hitting is almost natural that I don't think he has to, you know, spend the entire offseason working on hitting. I'd love to see him do what like Kyle Schwarber did a few years ago with the glove because Schwarber put a lot of work into becoming a better defensive outfielder. And Jimenez is is I mean, yeah, he's he's a big dude, but I but a lot of guys are big dudes and play better defense in, in the outfield. And he's not thirty five. Uh, I'd like to see because, you know, if you make him an average uh, defensive corner outfielder, which isn't exactly the biggest ask generally because the average defensive corner outfielder isn't really that great a defensive player. If you make him in as that, he's having a league average season right now. Hmm. Uh, you give you give him you add a win to him, and he's at one point eight WAR. Right. You add ten runs. That's, uh, but even you know a little less than that, he comes up and you're close to two. So, I, I think that there are some places he needs to work on his game. Uh, you'd like to continue to see growth year year after year in his offensive performance, but it, it's hard to be an offense only player. Uh, in, in 2019 because teams get offense everywhere now. Except for the White Sox in right field and DH. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about those numbers on Sox Machine Live, and oh my gosh, those numbers are ugly. Yeah, I, what I maybe you can explain this to me. Uh, when, when he was healthy, I still don't understand why the White Sox seem to give Johnny Jay as much playing time as possible <laughs> because they can't sign Manny at this point. The, the reason for having John Jay is gone. And they kind of figured that with Yonder Alonso. It's not like they're going to say, hey, void your contract to come over here, even though you can't actually do that. It's it's not going to happen. Uh, so I don't I, I still don't get what the White Sox get out of playing John Jay. And it's not like they were using John Jay. John Jay got a contract with John Jay might not have gotten a one year, four million dollar deal. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why they played him as much as they did. I mean, he needs hip surgery. Uh, who knows? Maybe at age 35, John Jay needs a new hip already, uh, which is a pretty scary thought. But yeah, I mean, my fat ass doesn't need a hit. I'm still on my original hip. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, he's done for the season. But you make a good point. I mean, John Jay got too much rope this year, and in the month of August, he couldn't pull the ball. He was running just as fast as Wellington Castillo from home to first base. Like it should have been pretty clear for Rick Renteria to make a phone call to Rick Hahn and say, John Jay's toast. We should probably play somebody else in right field. But their solution to that now, Dan, is they're having Ryan Goings play right field. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, they they uh, they did they did call up Mendick, which is nice. They're, they're not really starting him that much. But 
I don't know. I think I like a lot of what the White Sox have done. I think this year they're being a little kind of too conventional with how they're using their veteran talent. I think Mendick should have been up months ago. Hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, Ryan Goins is is hitting pretty well for Ryan Goins, but at the end of the day, he's a you know an early thirties utility infielder, and he's going to be Ryan Goins for the rest of his career. That's just, I mean, it's fine. I mean, a lot of teams need a utility infielder, but it just doesn't feel very ambitious. It's like, what's the end game? What's the upside here that you help Ryan Goins? one last arbitration thing and then get a weird contract in free agency. What's the upside for them, for the White Sox? What do they learn? What do they discover by playing Ryan Goins as, as much as they can now? And I don't, I don't see a benefit to that, to the White Sox. If you ask that question to Rick Hahn, you probably will not like his response because lately probably not. his answers have not been very good, but those are the right questions, Dan. And yeah, I mean, right now we're watching Nick Magical and Luis Roberts sit at home for the, the rest of the year until they report down in Glendale to prepare for spring training or maybe go through some some cage work in November, like when Yohan Mercado and Jose Abreu meet up uh, to go to the batting cages in November. But, yeah, no, we get to enjoy Ryan Goings, try to pretend to play right field at the moment. Or it's either watching him and Daniel Polka, which Polka may set a – brand new low when it comes to batting average in a season. I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not as down on Polka simply because he's young enough and has enough service time like to go that he still could be interesting. I mean, he has hit before. Mm -hmm. Uh, True. He may not be the best possible use, but I would have, I would have had Polka on the roster long before Jay. I'd have him in a corner outfitter long before Gones. I mean, he wasn't, great in 2018 but he did hit for some power uh he's still on the right side of 30 uh i think the white house can and have done worse than polka now let's move over looking at the league as a whole because the postseason races are really heating up the white Sox still have games remaining against the minnesota twins and the cleveland indians so they can play the role of spoiler but speaking of the indians i don't think the indians are catching the twins in the american league central dan and looking at the wild card, this is a very, very tight race. Currently, as we record, Tampa Bay would be the wild card number one. They would host the one game playoff as their record is 83 and 59. And they are a game and a half up on Oakland, who would be the second wild card as the A's have an 81 and 58 record. And the White Sox, thanks to splitting in Cleveland, have knocked Cleveland out of the wild card. They would be outside looking in. They are currently a game behind the Oakland A's in the wild card. So you got Tampa, Oakland, and Cleveland all bunched up. And looking at the Fangraphs projections for the rest of the year, Fangraphs is projecting Tampa to win the wild card number one spot with a with 94 wins. Oakland gets the second wild card with 93 wins. And Cleveland misses the postseason with 92 wins. So Fangraphs is projecting a very tight race to the end. How do you see the American League wildcard race shaking out, Dan? Uh, I think the problem with the Indians catching the Twins was always that uh, the the Indians had actually had the easier schedule early in the season than the Twins did. Uh, it's It's come a little closer now, but as of two weeks ago, I had the Indians' opponents for the rest of the season – Averaging about 40 percentage points uh, in in strength more than the Twins. I had like the Twins – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I had the Twins opponents as like a 465 
average and the Indians opponents at like a 504 average. And that that's that's pretty significant when you're talking, you know, the Indians having to play catch up. I mean, that the Twins have the the much easier schedule going forward. So it was always a hard call for the Indians, especially with some 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 setbacks to their pictures, uh, losing Jose Ramirez for the rest of the regular season when he was finally playing well. Right. Uh, so that was probably a bridge too too far for them. Uh, I think for the same reason, the Rays have some problems simply because they do have a difficult schedule for the rest of the season, a much more difficult one. I actually have it about four. There's about about the same forty points I had. Uh, Twins versus Indians, Rays versus Athletics. So I think the A's will probably. I think the A's are probably the favorite to get wild card one by a a skosh. Let's just say. Okay. And and then I think I think it might be a little closer than people might think between the Rays and the Indians. Uh, I think the Rays are actually the better team right now. But again, when you're talking difference in strength, 15 points of of opponent strength is is pretty. It's not huge, but when you're talking one game or two games being the difference, that that could tell. Uh, the Rays have to play, you know, a lot of AL East games, and the the Indians do get to play some pretty lousy teams. Yeah, but the Indians only have three more games remaining against Detroit, who they are sixteen or sorry, fifteen and one. <laughs> Detroit against against Detroit in 2019, just crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure if Detroit is this. I'm not the, sure if the Tigers this year are funny or sad. It's just kind of somewhere in the middle. They're they're in sad mode. They're in right sad. Now. They're you in don't sad. think it's. Okay, I'll say I will go with sad for now. So moving from the American League wild card, let's touch on the National League Central. Right now, the St. Louis Cardinals have a two and a half game lead over the Chicago Cubs, in which the Cubs have a key series in Milwaukee that they're playing over the weekend. Milwaukee really needs these next three games against the Cubs as we are recording uh, this segment as they're starting to drift back in the pack. The projections, though, even though St. Louis has a two and a half game lead, Fangraphs is projecting that St. Louis will win the National League Central with 90 wins, but the Cubs come a close second with 89 wins, and the Brewers are back in the pack with 83 wins. Do you agree with the Fangraphs projections that the St. Louis Cardinals can hold off the Chicago Cubs and win the National League Central, Dan? I think so. The Cardinals, I mean, they're a team that was always hard to upgrade because they, they're not really a team that usually has a lot of holes, but they just kind of needed everyone to kind of perform non-terribly. And that, that wasn't always happening this year. They had some pretty embarrassing flops from their pitching staff for a lot of the season, uh, especially the rotation. I mean, the bullpen's actually been fine compared to expectations that people always have for their bullpen. I, I think that it is a coin flip right now. I think, you know, you, you play a million seasons a million times uh the the cubs are the better team than the cardinals but you know having a two and a half game edge is pretty significant uh because you're not starting from uh from uh from this from the same point i mean a lot of people not me could beat usain bolt with with a slight lead i mean i you give me like an 80 meter lead i think i could beat usain bolt but the point is that those games behind where you start matters if the Cubs don't win the National League Central, which is what Fangraphs is projecting, now what makes this interesting for the National League wild card is all of a sudden we have a different face that's starting to make a little bit of a run. We've seen the Phillies, we've seen the Mets, we've seen the Giants. Now it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. If the Cubs don't win the National League Central again, Dan, do you think that they are safe to earn one of the wild cards, or could we see 
another surprise run by another team in the National League in September that could beat out the Cubs for that last postseason spot. I, I, I think we're talking at best a five-team race. Uh, I kind of feel the Brewers are kind of the end of their rope from their pitching, uh, that it's that they're a hard team to project for the rest of the last three weeks of the season simply because their pitching is so thin right now, and they didn't really do much at the trading deadline. The trade deadline. Who says trading deadline? Um, I think, I mean, the Cubs are the favorite to win the wild card. They don't win the division, uh, the, the second wild card at least. I I don't think they should feel safe, but I think they should feel fairly confident. Let's call it three out of four or four out of five. They make the they make the playoffs. Okay. Uh, I think that the other teams behind them all have at least one fundamental problem of their own. I mean, you can say the Cubs bullpen has been poor, but a lot of bullpens have been poor this year. We've seen a lot of just good teams with just you know dumpster fire bullpens this year. Uh, for instance, one of the teams behind the car, uh, the Cubs, the Mets, <laughs> who who were threatening for a while and then they fell back as their bullpen has performed down to ex- down to their seasonal performance. Let's just say, I, I think the Cubs are the favorite. I think we're probably down to a four or five team wild card race. Uh, I, I I think the Brewers are going to be the next team to fall out of it. I, I don't think this is the year that we're going to get you know the whole team entropy seven way tie that baseball doesn't know what to do with. As much as I root for that. <laughs> Do you think the Diamondbacks are, are they the most serious challengers right now to the Cubs spot in the postseason? I think just by virtue of being the closest right now that they are, I, I think fundamentally the team's talent is a 500 team. And you have to remember, they, they got wins from that record they have this year includes, you know, some wins they got from Zach Greinke, who they no longer have. Uh, I mean, he I mean, it, it, I mean, it always depends on which flavor of of uh war you prefer 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 my, my pronunciations are very weird today but he was a four or five win player for the diamondbacks this year and i i think they're they they i mean i can see why they made the trade but it doesn't obviously help them in 2019 given everything uh i they could make the playoffs i just don't think they will and it'll be fun watching how these races unfold and how the key white Sox core pieces finish the 2019 season, you could follow Dan on Twitter. He's at DZaborski and read his always excellent work on Fangraphs.com. And you could join him for a lovely weekly chat on Monday afternoons on oh, Fangraphs. Oh, Thursday. Thursday. I have switched with Jay Jaffe. What? So we are now Thursday. All right. Chats. So join him for a lovely weekly chat on Thursdays on Fangraphs. Yeah, it seems weird after so many... And so many, and so many years in that time slot. Now we're going to do Thursday, and there might be some times where I forget to go to chat because Thursday doesn't have an individual feel the way Monday does. <laughs> so there might be a time or two I forget. I actually had to be reminded this week because I thought it was Wednesday and it was Thursday. Uh, but hopefully, over time, I will remember the day of the week. And you can ask. Dan any question in those chats like hey Dan would you eat the Cincinnati chili pizza no oh god no <laughs> whoever your Patreon is that that suggested that question I allow me to refund their money for you. <laughs> well that was my question so oh okay well, then I... <laughs> we are we are no longer I am no longer the podcast best friend oh you are you don't get to decide that I get to decide that Dan 
<laughs> you have made a very powerless enemy. <laughs> oh man! Well, as always, Dan. Oh, stomach hurts now. Sorry, man. As always, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Josh. We always have fun. I know it's baseball season, but many of us are gearing up for fantasy football. Some of you might be like me, and you are the commissioner of your fantasy league. Just recently, I made a new website to track our standings and all of our past champions, which if you want to check out, you can go to DraftKingsLeague.com. And I created that website on Wix. It was super easy as Wix has hundreds of templates to choose from. So if you don't have the best design chops like me, no worries. They have a lot of website examples you can use for a variety of topics like a blog or your photography, weddings, and even small business options. Wix also has a lot of tools you can use to make the website more productive. For me, it was nice they have Google Sheets integrations that I could use to create our standings and allow our other participants in the league to track their progress. They also have other built-in tools like storage and custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and even e-commerce. With built-in SEO tools you can use to get your website found easily on Google. And every site is automatically optimized for any device. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your business, share your talents to the world, or like me, create a website for our fantasy football league. Whatever you're dreaming of, you'll need a website and Wix can help. Get started by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. Now I'm joined on the podcast with the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. With just 19 games left in the regular season for the Chicago White Sox, uh, I still think it's important for us to keep track of how the White Sox finish this season, but we are baseball fans, and the postseason races are very tight in both the American and National Leagues. I just asked what Dan Zaborski thinks how the American League and National League wildcards will play out. And before action on Monday, September ninth, uh, in the American League, again, this is a three-team race between the Rays and the Athletics and the Cleveland Indians. And right now, the Cleveland Indians are, again, on the outside looking in. They are one and a half games back of Oakland. And starting with the American League, Jim, Dan thinks that Oakland will actually pass Tampa and come away with the fourth spot, hosting the one-game playoff against the Tampa Bay Rays with the Cleveland Indians left out. How do you feel about the American League right now? Uh, it's possible. I can I can see it happening. I do think it'll be Oakland and Tampa. Um, but yeah, Oakland, it looks like they have the easiest schedule. They play the Astros for four in Houston uh, coming up next. But then after that, Rangers, Royals, Rangers, Angels, Mariners. So it's a pretty soft ending of the season. The, the, the Indians have it a bit harder. I mean, they have the Angels, then uh, the Tigers and Phillies, which, who are kind of a mess right now. But they also have uh, you know, the White Sox and Nationals finishing up, and the White Sox, depending on who they start, uh, are tougher, I would say, than the rest of the slate. I think they're comfortably in that uh, middle class of teams, like I would say lower middle class, but uh, you know, respectable, depending on who's going on a given day. And the Rays you know, are fairly 
Yeah, they have a bit a bit tough with the Dodgers, Red Sox, and Yankees back to back, but they also have some soft spots around them. So nobody's going through like a real grueling test. But given the Indians' injuries um, and and their their schedule being a bit tougher than say Oakland's, I can see them just kind of falling out, not making up the ground, especially if like the Twins really uh, force them out. You know, if if the Twins uh, do what they can do to the Indians, I could see them just being in too deep a hole switching over to the national league and for especially chicago sports radio this is going to be a pretty popular topic as cubs fans continue to sweat and the chicago cubs lost the last three games of a four-game series at miller park against the milwaukee brewers over the weekend and i tell you what arizona just keeps winning and they have even though they lost on sunday uh they have won eight of their last 10 games and now the Arizona Diamondbacks are a game and a half behind the Chicago Cubs for the last wild card spot. The Washington Nationals, I agree with Dan, I think are safe. They have a three-game lead over the Chicago Cubs. I think the Nationals are going to be hosting the one-game playoff, gym. But Cubs, Diamondbacks, and let's go ahead and throw in the Brewers because now they're just two games back of the Cubs. And we could throw in the Phillies because the Phillies have the same record as the Brewers and they're just two games back of the Cubs. Uh, do you still like the Cubs with 19 games remaining in the season to come away with that last wild card spot? Or do you like somebody from the outside? I really haven't been following Arizona. They kind of snuck up on me. I, I thought I'd more or less written them. Yeah, they, they I wrote them off mentally. You know, I, I guess even the Brewers I'd kind of written off because uh, they've had so many injuries and uh, just seem to be falling out of it. Uh, but then again, you know, when you look at the National League race and been looking at it for like the last several weeks, uh, there's just been so many teams to keep track of that it is easy to lose track of, you know, one of these, uh, you know, fringe candidates. Uh, I, I don't really like, you know, unless uh, Arizona, I, haven't, I really have to catch up on exactly how they've been doing it because I, was, I, I looked at the standings today and I was surprised. But the Cubs, you know, just you know, given that they've been there before and have been, um, you know, they're, they're so deep in terms of name brand talent, it, it's hard to completely write them off. And then you see the, the road problems they've had all season. Um, you, you would think at some point that would normalize and they'd kind of be able to shake that away. And they haven't, um, you know, struggling with the brewers and then they have a pretty tough schedule rounding out the season, especially if the, uh, you know, the Cardinals keep them honest cause they have the Cardinals like in the middle of it. They, they have a home series, uh, the second to last weekend and then a road series in St. Louis. So depending on what the Cardinals are playing for, they can have a lot to say about whether the Cubs are in it at all. So, you know, they have a bunch of, I think they're all NL Central the rest of the way, aside from, yeah, the Padres. They play the Padres immediately, but then it's all NL Central the rest of the way. So, you know, those divisional games, they get, um, you know, there's a lot of familiarity and a lot of, you know, teams, you know, <laughs> know each other and there are no tricks there. And with Kimbrell out, it's just, they're, they're kind of a mess right now. And I can see them just sliding out of it the way they slid out of it last year. I just don't know a whole lot about the Diamondbacks. Like I've kind of lost track of them and how they're winning. Uh, their schedule looks okay. So theoretically uh, they would have the easiest road going into the wild card game. But yeah, I think I'm going to be spending this week familiarizing myself with exactly how they're doing it. Yeah. The Arizona Diamondbacks are 39 and 35 on the road. The Milwaukee Brewers are 31 and 37. The Phillies are 33 and 37. And the Chicago Cubs are 29 and 42 on the road as the Cubs are now heading to San Diego. The Diamondbacks are heading to Queens to face the New York Mets. The Mets are still four games back at the Cubs for the final wildcard spot. So that's a pretty crucial series for both teams for Arizona and the New York Mets. 
And the Milwaukee Brewers head to Miami while the Phillies are at home against the Atlanta Braves. And that's going to be a tough series for the Phillies. Jim, I, I don't know. I think the Cubs are in really shaky ground here. And I almost want to say one of these three teams, Arizona, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, are going to leap past the Cubs before the end and steal that final wildcard spot in the National League. And I'm with you. I'm going to be paying attention a lot more, obviously watching the White Sox with one eye, but keeping another eye uh, and try to watch the Arizona Diamondbacks and just figure out how in the world are they doing this? Like, how do they get Kettle Marte to play at this high of a level? Like, I don't think three years ago we would have ever confidently said that Kettle Marte and Eduardo Escobar were 30-plus homer guys. <laughs> Especially Escobar. We saw him up, up uh, close in person. Right, exactly. Yeah. Especially Escobar. And they're doing it. And after trading away Goldschmidt and Granke and letting Patrick Corbin walk and letting A.J. Pollock go, uh, incredible. Incredible run by the Diamondbacks. And it, that's just the way that it happens with the National League. One team gets super hot very late. And they come in and last year was the Milwaukee Brewers to steal the National League Central away from the Chicago Cubs winning games 163 against the Cubs to win the National League Central. And, of course, the Cubs lost a wildcard game at home against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, maybe something will happen as well. Love to get your guys' thoughts as far as how you think the wildcard races will play out. But we do have some postseason races in Major League Baseball, which does make the, the finish to this season very exciting. So hopefully it remains close for the last three weeks of the regular season. Back to the Chicago White Sox. And the White Sox have lost, uh, they lost two out of three against the Angels. They have lost 10 of their last 13 games. That 30-game stretch that we talked about a month ago, and we played over-under, and I went over, and Jim went under, and at the end, Jim won. Yeah! The over-under was uh, (laughs) 12 and a half games, and the White Sox only won 12. And I thought the White Sox could win 13, and maybe the White Sox from this weekend uh, should have got to 13, as two of the games that they lost were one-run losses. Friday night is a game they should have won. Lucas Giolito pitched well. They had a lead. They blew the lead, thanks to Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the offense on Saturday, there's just too much ground to make up. Uh, as Dylan Covey and the White Sox bullpen were largely ineffective, and the White Sox had a late rally thanks to Jose Abreu home run. Uh, but again, it was just too much ground to make up. And then on Sunday, the White Sox had a complete game, I thought, uh, to win the finale, but ultimately the White Sox lose the season series to the Angels in 2019. So we're going to bring back one of our our good but oldie segments. Uh, if you've been listening to us since the very beginning, this segment is called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And we're going to start with The Good. There's two parts. For those that are wondering, Tim Anderson still leads the American League in batting average. He's at 334, while DJ LeMayhew is still trailing him as LeMayhew was participating in the game Sunday night uh, as the Yankees were playing the Boston Red Sox. Uh, but the other part of the good is Danny Mendick, and he made a nice first impression this weekend. Over the weekend series, Mendick was 5-for-13, and he hit his first career home run as it sailed into the left field bleachers in Sunday's win. And Jim, it's a very small sample size. 
But does Mendick intrigue you enough that he should continue to merit a longer run with playing time in the remaining 19 games? Yeah, I, I think he's uh, somebody who might make the most of September or the White Sox might make the most with playing him as much. I think Collins, you know, I mean, he might tell you something hitting wise, but I think still his position is up in the air. Um, but when it comes to Mendick and, and given how long his history has been of being an adequate performer at every level he's been in, at least like the last three years, been a very steady climb. Nothing jumps out at you, but he's, he's basically checked off every level as he's gone. Uh, he hit at Birmingham when, as we saw a lot this year, a lot of guys struggled at Birmingham. He hit there, goes to Charlotte. He hits at Charlotte, even though it's an offensive year and everybody's hitting at Charlotte, he does the job there. Now, early on here, not trying to do too much. He's poking a lot of balls to right field when they're going away from him. He's not over swinging. He's not trying to get himself into uh, strikeout situations. And, uh, so far he's getting a little bit lucky, a couple soft singles, but he also roped that line drive into the bullpen. So we did see some pole field power. Um, I think right now the biggest probably rookie moment he's had is when he almost uh, allowed that base hit on a grounder to short, just took a little bit too much time. You know, kind of looked like the internal clock wasn't quite uh, synced up to major league play yet and was a little slow on it, but ultimately got the out because of good scoop. But uh, right now he looks like he, you know, more or less belongs. I, I think, uh, you know, his skill set or his approach might be exposed over the course of weeks when you see like oh he routinely makes weak contact and now it's finding gloves now they're shifting him right and now he goes from hitting you know 300 hitting 190 just because all the contact ends up where uh <laughs> where the fielders are and he's not hitting it over everybody's head so yeah i i can see him being somebody who can look good in small samples but is exposed over larger samples so they should try to make the sample as large as possible when they try to figure out what to do with the infield uh mainly utility infield spot going into the offseason. Now, the bad from the weekend, again, we go back to Friday night. Uh, Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay have been so dependable for the White Sox this season. We've gotten just comfortable that when the White Sox have a lead and they hand the ball off to Aaron Bummer, that he gets the job done and he gets the ball to Alex Colomay and Colomay locks up the save and the White Sox win. It didn't happen on Friday. And I think that's the first time this season that the White Sox coughed up a lead in the eighth inning. Second time. So if only for the second time this season, the White Sox have lost 80 games. And only the second time this season, they have coughed up a lead as late as the eighth inning. And you mentioned on Twitter and with the month in a box post on SoxMachine.com, Jim, that lately Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay have been struggling. What are you seeing from their recent performances that maybe suggests that regression we've talked about might finally be here. Well, with uh, Bummer, it's been location. The walks have ticked up. And I think part of it's, you know, a lack of the, I guess, overwhelming power that he had from the left side, you know, like hitting 98. I think his velocity has dropped a little bit. And I think as the league gets used to him and the scouting reports and the video the sample grows, he just doesn't have as many secrets. You know, when, when you throw a cutter that hard and a sinker that hard, it, it does make an impression like, you know, Zach Britton did uh, with the Orioles in his heyday. But uh, if you lose a little bit of it or the you know, the command isn't as great, he's he's leaving some more sinkers up and over the plates. Uh, Brian Goodwin did the damage on one of those. It's, um, yeah, I, I guess a, uh, a tough profile to really be as dominant as Bummer was in the first half. So you expect some regression. And if he ends up in the, uh, at the end of the season with a 2.5 or lower ERA and 
you know, decent strikeout rate, ground balls, homer suppression, everything else in his favor, you'd call it a good season, just maybe a little bit disappointing with the way he shaped it. Colome, same thing, he's been more hittable, the walks have ticked up, I think, as a result, um, you know, having to be a little bit more careful. He has as many walks as strikeouts in August, um, and, and I think part of that's just, you know, command worsening part of it's just being a little bit more vulnerable and maybe being a bit more careful and for the most part you know as, as we as we mentioned that's just their second loss they've been able to shape their weak moments uh, their struggles either in non-save situations when they're behind already or you know maybe losing two runs of a three-run lead but never losing the game ultimately and and so they've been able to hide it a little bit this was like the first game you know, or you know theoretically second game all season where you know, all of a sudden, just like it's a, one of those normal blown save losses that have been so rare for the White Sox. And, you know, that happened, you know, that should have happened probably a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. And it might happen a couple more times before the end of the season, just based on the way the numbers work. But uh, it was unfortunate the way it happened because Joe McEwing had it all lined up. But uh, I think that's the kind of loss when you look at the full breadth of the White Sox bullpen work. Um, it, it's amazing they haven't had more of them. And then moving over to the ugly. I think a lot of you listening would want me to include Dylan Covey's start on Saturday, but it's just redundant. It just continues to happen. And no, we don't know why Dylan Covey keeps getting starts. But my ugly from the weekend, Jim, is Zach Collins' defense on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that was brutal. I mean, there it's just one game. And the good news is maybe he'll get another start and maybe he'll approve. And... He could start erasing some of the doubts that people have been talking about his defense for years. I mean, this is nothing new. If you've been listening to us uh, when we were with Southside Sox and, of course, moving over to Sox Machine and bringing in all of the experts that cover the draft and then cover all the prospects, they've been saying the same thing and, be- and they've been beating the drum that Zach Collins is not a catcher. And he really struggles defensively behind home plate. And we really saw that on Saturday. And and I got to, you know, take that game in in the seats with the crowd and just listening to everybody else when it was another pass ball by Zach Collins or a wild pitch that he couldn't get in front of. Uh, you could just hear the groans and people advocating of just pull him already. And he, this is a rookie, like someone that the White Sox may have to count on uh, for next year and beyond. But if he if this continues to happen, Jim, even in this small sample size for the rest of the season, I do think that the White Sox need to put a kibosh on the whole idea that Zach Collins uh, is a backup catcher or someone that you even want to have catch for 50 games next year uh, and go after and get somebody else, maybe on a minor league deal, a veteran that could help back up James McCann and just slot Collins as DH back up first base because – I don't think the White Sox could handle any more poor defense like that on Saturday. Are you more hopeful that we could see improvement from Zach Collins defensively? I wouldn't call myself hopeful. I would say in Collins's defense that we haven't seen him look this awful before. Like this is kind of a new, we've seen him look a little bit uh, more, I guess, rigid and, and less fluid behind the plate and his framing has been you know, subpar, but when it comes to like the, you know, the, these inexplicable pass balls or wild pitches, I should say, they're all wild pitches, even though one of them could have been a pass ball. Um, you know, these pitches getting past them, we haven't seen it like cluster up like this before. So this could either be, you know, uh, I guess, you know, an aberration or just having a rough night, maybe something physically off where he wasn't feeling great and 
you know, the, the pitchers just more or less exposed them on that given night, or maybe it's regression and we should be expecting more of this. I would, you know, given the scouting reports and everything you mentioned, uh, I would kind of use this more as a, oh, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, go from there. Yeah, just follow it away and, and then look for him to prove it otherwise. Like you keep this in the memory bank. And then as you watch future starts and, and they should, yeah, I wouldn't mind a 50-50 split the rest of the way with James McCann. Uh, letting him catch and just really understanding, you know, his flaws, whether it's, you know, what for Collins had taken the season, much like they did with his offense, you know, saying like, Hey, this doesn't work in the majors. Go fix it. Um, you know, that, that approach might be warranted. Uh, but I, I'm more inclined to think that this is, you know, a real lasting problem. And, and yeah, I'm more for addressing uh, the catcher position with Yasmani Grandal <laughs> than, than a, a backup for James McCann, just really going all out for the position especially with the rosters expanding and being able to carry three catchers and uh, maybe use McCann and Grandal more at the DH when they're not starting behind the plate. I think there's more flexibility in it for him next year, but I wouldn't totally abandon Collins as a catcher. Um, right now, I would, unless like say there are a lot more games like this, but I would be prepared to move on from Collins with the moves you make in the off season. You have them as depth, but uh, as you know, if, if this kind of catching uh, you know, carries forward. And, and, and this is the, uh, I guess, pitch blocking or lack thereof that we're supposed to expect in, uh, you know, in future months. Like I would be uh, apprehensive if I were the White Sox thinking like, what happens if James McCann gets banged up, takes a pitch off the hand, misses a month and Collins is your primary catcher. That would be a little bit scary. So I think that's what you want to avoid. Uh, if you're really banking on Collins being the uh, backup catcher, you know, you don't want him to be the only line of defense against a catcher injury. Well, again, the White Sox lost two out of three against the Angels. And that concludes our good, bad and ugly from the weekend and the White Sox. Again, we'll continue their homestand. They're going to be playing three games against the Kansas City Royals on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This is the last series of the season for the Chicago White Sox against the Kansas City Royals. And we'll be previewing that series. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way in buying tickets. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. And again, I use SeatGeek all the time for White Sox tickets. I bought tickets, again, for Saturday's game between the White Sox and Angels. And the reason I like using SeatGeek, they display all the tickets on an interactive seat map so I can pick and choose my seats and have a good understanding based on the way that they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and use the color-coded map. Green dots are the good deals and red dots are overpriced. I, I never get ripped off buying tickets on SeatGeek and every purchase is fully guaranteed. So I know I can shop for tickets with confidence on SeatGeek and with the White Sox using digital tickets this season, I can download the tickets straight on my smartphone and make it really easy access into the stadium. And the best part is, is that SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you haven't used SeatGeek before, and you still want to catch the White Sox before the end of this season, or maybe you want to catch the Chicago Bears during the NFL season, or even use the code for Chicago Bulls or Blackhawks tickets during their upcoming seasons when they get started, you can download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE. For $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. 
And as I said, this is the last series of the season between the Chicago White Sox and the Kansas City Royals. And the Kansas City Royals have been playing better baseball as of late. Their win-loss record on the year is 53-91. and But in their last 10 games, they have been 6-4. and four. So they've won 6 of their last 10 games. And against the White Sox, they are 8-8. Eight and eight. So whoever wins this series will win the season series between the two teams. And your pitching probables for this series. Again, Monday's an off day for the White Sox. So on Tuesday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time for the Kansas City Royals, it is Jacob Junis against Yvonne Nova. On Wednesday, it is Glenn Sparkman for the Royals against Ronaldo Lopez. And on Thursday, this is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. And if you can get out of work to catch this game, I recommend it because it's Jorge Lopez for the Royals against Lucas Giolito. And hopefully Lucas Giolito uh, can throw another game, a great game against the Kansas City Royals to uh, continue to build up his American League Central resume, even though, Jim, I feel like he's aiming to finish third uh, with the way that Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole have been pitching as of late for the Houston Astros. Uh, but at least that would be kind of cool if Giolito could find a way to sneak in to be third in the American League Central, even though it would be pretty distant. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a bronze medal finish for a, a country that's uh, not known for being great in Olympic sport. Like, that would be a victory in and of itself. Yeah, wasn't it uh, Mexico or Spain that won, like, a cross-country skiing bronze medal in the last Winter Olympics? And that was a pretty big deal. Like, they celebrated like it was a gold medal because they never finished in the top three. Yeah, same thing with, like, either America and Curling or America and, Lu- America and Luge got a, a bronze medal, and that was a first. So that's what it feels like with Giolito. He's playing for, uh, I would call it national pride, but more very specific regional pride. Yeah, so if he can use the Royals to help boost his uh, boost his resume to garner those third-place American League Central, uh, American League Cyan votes, I should say. Uh, that that would really help his case because right now I think it's going to be a debate between Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and uh, good luck trying to figure out that one between the two Houston Astros pitchers. But anyways, White Sox, Royals. I feel, Jim, if the White Sox don't win this series and they lose the season series against the Kansas City Royals, that would be kind of a head-scratcher for the 2019 season for me because I just feel like the White Sox, talent-wise, have always been better than the Kansas City Royals. Uh, however, the results haven't necessarily been there. Uh, so I'm really, while watching these three games, I would like the White Sox to either sweep the Royals or win at least two out of three so we can say, yes, the White Sox won the season series against the Royals. But is there anything in particular that you are looking for from the White Sox in this three-game series, the last one against Kansas City? Yeah, it feels like Wednesday seems like it's going to be the symbolic or quintessential White Sox-Royals matchup of the season just because it's Glenn Sparkman against Reynaldo Lopez. And Lopez, he goes through five no-hit innings, getting knocked out of the first and throwing a complete game. Just his you know natural start-to-start inconsistency is there. Uh, and so I'm curious to see which Lopez will show up in that game. And then you have Glenn Sparkman and Sparkman last time he faced the White Sox through a complete, yeah, you know, he threw a shutout, a five hitter. Uh, he had a 5.18 ERA at the time, lowered it to 5, 4.54. So you think like, okay, so the Royals might have a usable starter here. I looked it up since, cause I, I noticed his ERA is now back up to 5.97. 
His last, let me look at the numbers, count the number of starts here. Last nine starts, the Royals have lost all nine of those starts. He's 0-6. He's got an 8.32 ERA. Whew. The league has a 1,000 OPS against him. He's given up 13 homers over 44 innings. Uh, he's only struck out 26 over 44 innings, given 62 hits. Like, all the numbers are going against him. Just, like, start after start have been, like, he's been lucky to get a, a, a quality start out of him. He's had two of those, but he's had one, two, three... Four disaster starts since he's had more disaster starts than quality starts uh, since he shut out the White Sox. So it seems like this is the kind of thing where, okay, he had one good night. But if Sparkman, if Sparkman manages to shut out the Royal uh, White Sox again or you know, hold him down to like you know, two runs over seven innings. And Jake Junis is kind of similar that he's had unimpressive numbers against the rest of the league. But the White Sox kind of had these off nights against him. Seems like that'll more or less sum up the White Sox and Royals in, in 2019. Just the White Sox have more talent and more name brand talent, but these guys who don't show up against the rest of the leagues have their games of the season against them. So I, I think I would like to see, I would feel a whole lot better about the season series. if Even if they lose the series, uh, I, I'd feel iffy about a Giolito loss. But <laughs> I think Wednesday is the one, I, I if they're going to win one out of three, I want to see them win that game just because if they don't and if, Lopez gets knocked out in the third inning and Sparkman throws seven. Just like it. I don't know if I'll have learned anything from this entire season. Hmm. Okay. I mean, that's an overreaction, but just like, that's going to, how it's going to feel like nothing, nothing makes sense. And, and when you expect it to make, not make sense, that's when it's really the worst. Right. I mean, that's what I'm getting at as well. The White Sox don't win the season series against the Royals in 2019. People will look at that statement and be like, well, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, they're better than them. How can they not win the season series against the Royals? Are they really progressing? Are they improving? Well, the answer to that question is yes, because they've won more games than they did last year. So hashtag progress. But it would be nice if the White Sox can win the season series against the Royals, and I am hopeful that they will do so. And again, we'll be recapping as far as that series between the White Sox and Royals on Sox Machine Live on Thursday after the series concludes and we'll also preview the upcoming weekend series as the White Sox head out from Chicago to Seattle for a nine game road trip that starts in Seattle and then goes to Minnesota and then heads to Detroit It'll be the last road trip of the season for the Chicago White Sox. Coming up next on the Sox Machine Podcast, Jim will tell you more about the White Sox new Director of Amateur Scouting in this season's last minor league report next on the Sox Machine Podcast. Pop some new cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. 50% more cleaning power. to new Cascade Platinum with 50% more cleaning power. No need to rinse your dishes and it's even strong enough for the quick wash cycle. New Cascade Platinum. Pop some new Cascade in your dishwasher with 50% more cleaning power. Welcome to the last minor league report of the season because the minor league season came to an end for the White Sox on Saturday night. The Great Falls Voyagers were the last affiliate standing, but they also came up short of the postseason, finishing the second half with a record of 19-18 and 34-40 and 40 overall. The White Sox did announce one more big promotion before the end of the year. Mike Shirley is the club's new amateur scouting director, moving up from assistant director to take the seat previously occupied by Nick Hostetler, who is now an assistant to the general manager on the pro scouting side. 
Shirley has been an active part of the Sox amateur scouting department since 2010, when he started as a cross-checker. Continuity probably isn't all that desirable given the results from the last several draft classes, but that's what you can come to expect from the White Sox no matter what. As for the Voyagers, I'll be recapping their season on Sox Machine later today, but they didn't have the usual Pioneer League-fueled offensive explosion. Harvin Mendoza and Sam Abbott were the only guys who cleared an 800 OPS, and just barely at that. The Voyagers were last in average, last in OBP, and second lowest in slugging, with the fewest walks and third highest strikeout total. The pitching was middle of the pack, but they also had a lot of collegiate types. From here, the prospect beat will lie dormant, but not for long as usual, because the Arizona Fall League starts up early this year. Opening day is on September 18th, as the league wants to see what it looks like when the AFL is an extension of the season, rather than its own standalone thing that requires a ramp-up period after a long layoff. Gavin Sheets, Blake Rutherford, Mike Rodolfo, Bernardo Flores, Tyler Johnson, Bennett Souza, and Vince Robio give the Sox a crop that's worth following on a daily basis. That's it for the Meyer League Report until 2020. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you... Our fans and listeners get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, and helping support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And, of course, here to answer your questions is Jim Margulis. And, Jim, the first question that we have comes from Gukas Leogito. And Gugas is asking, after listening to Sox Machine Live last week, I wonder why two players weren't called up, Luis Basabe and Yerman Mercedes. Maybe they'd be worse than the average right fielder or DH, but the floor is so low, why not give them a chance to see what they could do, especially since Basabe is already on the 40-man? Well, I think Basabe is, uh, is the easier one to answer for just because he really didn't put up much of a fight at Birmingham the entire year. Uh, Part of it was the hand injury early on. Then he had some leg issues throughout the season and he was never really healthy. But I think, you know, if you called him up the majors now, you wouldn't learn anything that Birmingham didn't tell you already. And I'm a little bit surprised that he wasn't part of the Arizona Fall League roster. But then again, he might have been just so banged up all year that they figure, you know, letting him rest the entire offseason and recover and build up for next year is more productive and then maybe, you know, this last year of, of I guess, uh, his last team option, you know, maybe this is the year to make a run at the 25-man roster at some point during the season. And I'm hoping that's the case because, you know, entering the season, he looked like a very credible center field candidate and somebody I expected to be up in August or thereabouts, and it's just been a big disappointment. Mercedes is the tougher one. I mean, performance-wise, you couldn't ex- expect more from him or ask more from him as a hitter, just either at Birmingham or Charlotte, you know, as we talked about Birmingham, uh, so many guys struggled at Birmingham that you can't take it for granted when somebody hits as well as he hit there. And Charlotte was more the same. Um, I think with him, you know, it depends on how much they commit to Collins in September, because I think, uh, you know, McCann, you, you can't just sit him because he's had a good season. He's playing for a contract next year. It's his last arbitration year. So his numbers count. You just don't want him to, you know, start three of seven games, sit on the bench and, uh, you know, expect him not finish out the season when, you know, he's the best catcher they have and pitchers like throwing to him. So you can't just, you know, make him completely idle. You know, at the same time, you know, Collins, 
know, if you don't start him at catcher, you really don't learn much, even if is, what you learn is painful and you really don't want to see more of it. So if you have, you know, Collins catching and, and uh, McCann catching and DHing when he's not, and then Castillo picking up starts here and there, and you know, maybe you could say Castillo doesn't deserve to be around, but even if Castillo isn't around, there isn't a whole lot of playing time for somebody like Mercedes if Collins is there and they're committing to him. So you know, it might just be a matter of 40-man roster spots, uh, not having a place for him, maybe considering the catcher spot more carefully with Castillo coming off the roster and Zavala not being a lock, and maybe they'll add him to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. But uh, I, I would be disappointed, say, if Castillo picked up like 10 starts the rest of the way, and you know, there's really no point in starting him. It's the point of having him around just because you know you have three catchers. He knows the pitching staff. He's better than Collins defensively, so if you need somebody to step in and handle pitchers better than Collins, you have a guy. Um, but, you know, he's really just there to be a third catcher. And, uh, you know, in case of injury, you don't have to have Larry Garcia go behind the plate. So, uh, that's, I think really the, uh, thing with Mercedes is that you could make playing time for him, but there are ways to make playing time for other guys that are equally or better use of that spot. So I'm, I'm hoping they don't lose him in the rule five draft though, just because I, I, I like watching him play. I like watching him hit. I think it might be an unworkable, method of minor league success like Daniel Polka had a good season at Charlotte and just has clearly not shown anything in the majors there could be an equivalent thing for Mercedes where his pull power approach just doesn't get anything done in the majors but I wouldn't mind seeing it for a stretch this just might not be the roster for him to do it with Gukas thank you so much for your question our next question comes from David and David is asking the Chicago Cubs might trade Chris Bryant I wonder if this is partly because they know he won't sign when his contract is up since he has been bitter about his service time manipulation. Do you think the White Sox might be putting themselves in a similar situation with Luis Robert? Well, I think drawing a comparison to Bryant, there's a bit too much noise with that comparison to really know because, you know, Chris Bryant is a Scott Boris client and, uh, Boris clients tend to bet on themselves. There are some exceptions. The pitchers like uh, Strasburg and Jared Weaver, uh, they signed with their, they signed extensions with their teams and, and, and they wanted to stay where they were. And Xander Bogarts also did the same in Boston, but he pushed for that. Uh, that wasn't Boris's idea. That was Bogart's idea. And, you know, he has to listen to his client at the end of the day, but uh, Boris clients tend to you know, pick them for a reason. They would, they want to max out their player worth. And so, um, I don't know, even if the Cubs treated Bryant more fairly and called him up when his talent deserved it, that, uh, you know, he would be acting any different, or at least that he would be as open or unopen to an extension as he is right now. It is just a good thing for Bryant and Boris to mention, just because it is a problem with or across the majors, players being suppressed for service time, Boris clients and other people's clients. And uh, it's worth pointing that out and drawing attention to it and, and kind of, banging in that pan and, and and hoping things change, but I'm not sure that uh, it would change all that much, even if Bryant's you know playing time were uh, or service time weren't a consideration when they called him up and they only had six years of team control instead of seven. I still think it would end the same way with Bryant testing his value in the open market. Um, with Roberts, uh, uh, you know the direct comparison would be Eloy Jimenez, and obviously that really didn't affect the way Jimenez dealt with the White Sox because he signed an extension before. He played his first game. Uh, the difference there is that Robert, you know, has gotten the big payday that Jimenez hasn't. Um, so, you know, Robert doesn't need the security. He theoretically already has it. Um, but I do wonder when it comes to next season, 
I can see the case where, you know, with Bryant, uh, the unfairness really didn't, um, didn't crest until late in spring training. He had a great season the year before, but it was first full pro season. And so people could buy the, uh, even though the service time thing was looming over everything people could buy. Well, you know, we're, we're, he had his first five month season. Let's rest him and, uh, and, and go into the next season, um, you know, really open-minded and letting him play. And then spring training came along. He played just as well. He was the clear starter for the position. And then they, you know, sat him in, in, uh, AAA for two weeks until his service time, uh, threshold lapsed. And then he came up and then obviously everybody knew the game, but for the first part where he was, you know, after the five month season, they didn't call him up in September. There is more or less like, yeah, we kind of know the idea, but there is some credibility to the argument. There is a little bit of credibility to the argument with Robert that, you know, having played his first full season, um, you know, without health issues, you don't want to ask too much of him physically. So, you know, that's kind of BS, but especially since they should have called him up in July. But, uh, you know, you can at least understand there there's some credibility to that argument. Um the problem with Robert, or at least the, you know, that argument is that if he plays really well in spring training and is clearly better than anybody else in the roster and they don't call him up, that's when really you can't hide behind that anymore. However, you know, if he goes into spring training, has one of his classic, you know, injuries where he irritates his thumb or you know, pulls a hamstring or something like that and ends up missing like the last week of spring training and then that bleeds over into the regular season, you know, that might be something where they can't call him up anyway until you know, late April, early May, and then nobody can really be mad about it from that level. So I still think there is a, uh, you know, there's a little bit of time for this to unfold and any peak unfairness won't arrive until um, the the last week or second to last week in March when the rosters are firming up. And if Robert's clearly the best player for the position and not getting the chance, that's when I think the, you know, any kind of service time irritation or suppression issues between player and team will really uh, rise. And, and I don't even know if Robert has that much leverage uh, or at least, uh, you know, has that kind of sense of unfairness that a Boris client would. But I think if it's going to arise, that would be the case when, you know, he's clearly the best candidate. Uh, they're, they're opening the season. There's no fatigue argument. And they're still not calling him up. David, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Patrick on Twitter. And Patrick is asking, I was listening to the radio broadcast on Friday. And Andy Mazur asked a question that I thought has a lot of possible answers. Who is the MVP of the White Sox this season? I gave it a little bit of thought, but I think I'm pretty confident with Lucas Giolito. Hmm. How about you? Lucas Giolito over Yoan Makata? Yes. I think I can go with that. Yeah, because overall, I think Giolito's overall season has been more impressive. They've been both incredibly impressive seasons. But yeah, I think I'd go with Lucas Giolito as the MVP. Yeah, I think with with Giolito between the two of them, one is yeah they both both missed a little bit of time, um, so that you know the availability is there. When you look at wins above replacement, Giolito has the edge. But even beyond a a war argument, I would say that Giolito, the season he's having has been such a revelation, and so you know he's being considered for <laughs> I would say bronze medal for Cy Young. Um, which Mankata hasn't quite matched on the position player side with his season, even though he's probably a top 15 position player. He's not quite there yet. Also, I would say with Giolito, the way he's gone about building his season, it just provides like sheer value to the team. He doesn't have anything in his profile that really detracts from the White Sox, or at least he'll kind of adds to it. I would say with Mankata, the walks to strikeout ratio, the, the way he's had to cut his walks, 
to be the player he is and, and still striking out a lot. Um, I guess that's my one, yeah, I guess my one complaint about Mankata is that the walks have dried up a little bit. And while it's not a fault of him individually, and I think he has to show that he can punish strikes before he draws, you know, good, honest walks that aren't the product of fouling off pitches earlier in the bats. It's because teams are working around him and he's learned to lay off and not swing through things. Um, it, it just, you know, given how many players in the team share the same profile as not walking a lot and striking out a lot, there is a, a cumulative stress that Mankata adds to a little bit um, that uh, I, I think puts a little bit of a tax on the team. So I think when it comes to value for the White Sox, I think Giolito's, uh, the season he's having is just a bit more unbridled, catch-free positivity, at least to me. And again, after the season, when we do our season recaps, that will be one of our questions that we'll ask in about three weeks. So we'll see if people's minds change on who they think was the best player for the Chicago White Sox in 2019. But I think everyone can agree that in these last three weeks, it's, well, I, I don't know. Do you think there will be a lot of people swayed by Tim Anderson's race to be the American League uh, batting, uh, as far as batting average champion? Uh Maybe it is fun. I'm enjoying it more than I expected to just because batting average. Yeah. I, I'm not anti batting average. I actually think it's kind of uh, reflective of how enjoyable a player is to watch at the plate. You know, flaws and all like Larry Garcia batting 290. I don't mind him having him up there, even though he's not going to draw walks. Um, so I think it does tell you something about a player, how appealing he is to watch visually, but Anderson hitting, 330 and like that sequence where they walked Adam Engel in front of Anderson then Anderson hit the homer that was so satisfying to me uh just because you've we've seen that happen to the White Sox where they uh you know given how many guys they walk they walk the wrong guy in front of like Mike Trout or something like that then Trout homers and you just think of course that's going to happen of course that's you know what should happen in a baseball game where a pitcher uh just uh, slips up against the wrong guy and and it's fun to see Anderson step in that role as like, wow, a credible hitter who can't be just figured out by a good breaking ball anymore. So I really would like to see him finish that off and win the batting title. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the fullness of his season, like being, you know, that he's, he missed a month and the defensive issues, I think hold him back a little bit. Like Moncada's defense at third has really been impressive. And there have been some games where other, especially like when Larry Garcia is running uh, past balls in the outfield or or like not picking him up under his glove when he's trying to charge and make a throw and Anderson's making his mistakes and Eloy's and left. Sometimes like Moncada and, and Yolmer Sanchez or are just kind of islands of competence defensively. I think that's a little bit hard to overlook when you see the, the difference in quality of play on the left side of the infield. So I think that would keep Anderson back from like a full comprehensive best player arguments, maybe best hitter. Anderson might be able to sneak in there if he keeps hitting as hot as he is. But um, I think overall the defense is just a little bit lacking. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And also, you could also help support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And what you get for signing up on Patreon you get more content, not just from the podcast, but also from the writing. Uh, we Again, we had Dan Zaborski on as our guest, and big thanks to Dan for always taking the time to join the show. 
But the additional Patreon-only segment that we recorded with Dan this week was how would Dan change the playoff format for Major League Baseball? And our Patreon supporters also get an opportunity to ask additional P.O. Sox questions for every single episode. So if you like the show and you want more, go to patreon.com slash to sign up. And also, just this week, Jim released the Month in a Box for recapping everything that happened in the month of August for the Chicago White Sox. So if you like Jim's writing and you want more, go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe in a number of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.